So guys, for what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, um, we've been going through a series on hermeneutics. <clears throat> Who remembers what, the, what hermeneutics means? Y'all remember what the word hermeneutics means? Aaron's nodding his head. What's it mean, Aaron? How to read the Bible. Good. It is, it is how to read the Bible. I'm looking for a particular word, though. Interpret the Bible. There we go. We're trying to, we're trying to make sure that we are interpreting the Bible with the right with the right lens. Um, everybody shows up to reading the Bible with, with a hermeneutical lens. In other words, think about it, uh, your hermeneutic, your interpretive grid, think about it like a pair of glasses. Everybody has one. Um, not literally a pair of glasses, but a, a hermeneutic, a, a interpretation of the scriptures. As you sit down, you got some king cake there, buddy? Good, I'm glad. There is king cake in the back, and I've also been told a knife has been added to the box so that you may slice and enjoy your king cakes. One of those is a day old, and I'm not going to tell you which one it is. <laughs> Surprise! Um, anyway, we're trying to make sure that as we read the Bible, as we interpret the Bible, we're doing it with the correct lens. So we talked about two other words a couple of weeks ago, if you all remember correctly. There's two mechanisms that are the primary things that we should be using to interpret the Bible rightly. The first is what? Do you all remember? There's the Blank and the blank. Good. Okay. Historical. Yes. Historical is correct. Now, what do we mean whenever we say a, a historical hermeneutic? The context according to history. But let me ask a couple more questions about that. Do we let, um, do we put history over the Bible whenever we're trying to interpret it? Do we put history and tradition over the scriptures? No, no, no. We, we instead, what we want to do is bring the history to support the scriptures, Right. But if we run into something where, um, let's say, I don't know, Yale puts out a study about the history of, um, y'all, y'all ever notice, let me actually use this because this is something real that everybody sees. Have you guys ever seen all the magazine front page articles that pop up about the Messiah and the resurrection every year around Easter time? Have you noticed like this coming up? Was the resurrection real? Newsweek! You know, and it's like, why, why does Newsweek suddenly care about the resurrection? Well... Partly because it's a scheme of the enemy, but um, or Time Magazine on the you know on the resurrection or did Jesus really live? You know all these articles start showing up, and if you're not if you're not prepped, if you're not ready to go in, what you'll start doing is you'll start putting that history or tradition, whatever word you want to use, over the scriptures when you read it, and you don't want to do that. That's what we're trying to stay away from. So where's the primary place that we get the historical context of the scriptures from? From the Bible, that's right. We get the history primarily from the scriptures. And there are other good historical sources that we can talk about and find, but what we're trying to do, like within uh, the context of Christian seminaries and uh, biblical history classes and all those kind of things from trusted professors, we want to hold all that stuff. But when we say, man, that rain is still coming. When we say a grammatical, historical hermeneutic, what we're really saying is, Grammar, what do the words on the page say? And history, what is the historical context of what is being written? Amen? Okay, let's do a little review. <clears throat> Last week, <clears throat> excuse me, God, I got all kinds of stuff in my throat today, so singing is going to be special, let me tell you. I'm going to need you all to sing loud today. Um, Last week, we talked about the Old Testament and how specifically to interpret it. Do you all remember this? Remember we were talking through the Old Testament a little bit last time? What are some of the interpretive types, some of the, some of the literature types that we see in the Old Testament? Just sling them out whenever you think about it. 
We talked about this last week. It was like a little bit like a fire hose. Songs and poetry, that's right. And what was an easy example of that? The, the Psalms, the book of Psalms, that's right, very good. And David wrote most of those. Um, what's some other types of, <clears throat> of literature that we see inside of the Old Testament? Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, which is what? Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, that's wisdom literature, that's right, um, which is written, if you read uh, the book of Proverbs, and we're going to do a lot of Proverbs today, actually, just as kind of like a little practice, but if you read the book of Proverbs, there's a lot of one-liners, but if you uh, go, I think it's in Proverbs 18. Man, I'm really bad at citation. I remember verses really well, but I'm poor with citations. Y'all ever read the part in Proverbs where right next to each other it says, answer a fool to his folly. Don't answer a fool to his folly. <laughs> it says it like right next to each other. And so if you just read through it quickly, it's like a, um, it looks like a contradiction, but actually it's a parallelism, and we're going to explain that a little bit more later on today. Uh, so we got wisdom literature, we got songs and poetry, that's in there too, that's like Psalms, Song of Solomon. What else? What's that? Laws, and what's an example of some laws that we see in the Old Testament? Like Leviticus, the Levitical laws, we also see a lot of laws written out in Deuteronomy, right, and in Exodus, well, a little bit in Exodus, but... <clears throat> and Exodus is also a type of what? Historical, historical narrative, which basically means the history of the people at the time being told. Now, there's a, remember, there's a qualifier for historical narratives. Do you guys remember? There's a qualifier for historical narratives. They are descriptive, not prescriptive. That's right. Very good. Very good. Give it, give it up for John, ladies and gentlemen. He's paying attention. Okay, so now when we say that, what we mean is we're descriptive. We're describing, the author is describing what's happening during the time, but he's not necessarily telling us, therefore go and do likewise, right? Like we, we're not being told that. That's important for us to remember whenever we're going through and reading that, especially uh, one of the examples that we cited last time was the instances of polygamy um, throughout the Old Testament, right? Uh, now, we can take a step back from the Bible and take a look at the scriptures as a whole and realize really fast that God made Adam and Eve one wife, and then in the New Testament, we see the very clear qualifications of a pastor, elder, deacon. He should be a man with one wife, a man of one wife, okay? So not multiple wives is a problem. And if you read throughout the Old Testament, you see all the times everybody had multiple wives, there was always problems, <laughs> you know? Um, Jacob and Esau, um, Abraham and his affair with his wife's maidservant created all kinds of issues there. Um, what were some other moments where you see some problems popping up with polygamy in the Old Testament? David, David, Solomon. Yeah, what, and now you should also notice this. What was, what was kind of David's problem, the polygamy issue? He had, a, he had a handful of wives or so. How many wives did Solomon have? Like 400, and then wasn't it like 700 concubines? Like, dude had a problem, you know? Like, dude had a problem. And then what happened? His wives for Solomon did what? They led him astray to worship other gods. Do you imagine keeping up with all those birthdays and anniversaries? I mean, that, that guy was just in trouble all the time, wasn't he? So you see all these things? They, his wives led him astray to follow other gods. And then what happened right after Solomon? The kingdom of Israel did what? It fell, it split, right, into, into Judah and then into the rest of the remaining tribes of Israel. And Rehoboam, Solomon's son, was a jerk. <laughs> he was a total jerk. 
And uh, in fact, if you remember from the stories, the people of uh, Israel and Judah, before the split happened, they came up to him and they said, Rehoboam, man, our, your father afflicted us and made us work hard. Are, are you going to make things easier for us? Because we'll follow you if you do. And Rehoboam got uh, all of his advisors. He got his young man advisors and his old man advisors. And he took advice from them as independent groups, which was already probably a problem. And then who did he listen to? The young men, like an idiot, okay? The old men told him, listen, if you lighten the workload of the people, they will follow you to the end of the age. The young men were like, no, we know what to do. You all know a 20-year-old like that? Oh, yeah. no, I've got this. When I was a 20-year-old, I had everything figured out. I don't know about you guys, but it's very true. But he went after the advice of the young men. The young men told him, no, man, afflict them. Work those people. Get them, let them know who's boss. And the kingdom split. Jeroboam took uh, Israel, Rehoboam was with Judah and Jerusalem, and then everything fell apart after that. It was sad times. So you can see how Old Testament prescriptive, not, okay? It's descriptive. It's telling us the historical narrative in the Old Testament is telling us what happened, not necessarily what to do. Now, you do see instances where someone clearly doesn't obey God, and then they get what's coming to them as a result of it, right? See all those pieces? Any questions so far? What's the last genre of literature that we talked about in the Old Testament? Y'all remember? It's the weird one that we don't do anymore. Well, I don't think it, I don't know of anybody who writes this way now. It's kind of a lost art. Starts with an A. Well, prophecy, oh, that's true. There are some people who write prophecy, though. Just ignore them. Authorial intent. No, no, no. That's a uh, that's a type. That's a uh, that's a, a mechanism that we need to be aware of in our interpretation. It's called. There it is. Oh, swinging two for two today. Oh man, John, you're in trouble, dude. Now I'm going to start picking on you more. All right. So apocalyptic literature, and what's an example of apocalyptic literature in the uh, Old Testament? Daniel. Daniel, that's right. Daniel is an example, and uh, we know that immediately because of all the heavy, heavy symbolism that we see inside of some of the, the prophecies. Um, like I saw two wheels intersecting, and it had a thousand eyes all over it, and wings, and fire, and stuff, and you're, you're like trying to draw this for your kids. Have you ever seen some of the descriptions in the Old Testament of what angels look like? It's like wings, and balls, and fire, and eyeballs on everything. You try to draw that, you're like, I don't I don't feel like this is... Could you imagine somebody putting that on top of their Christmas tree? We put an angel up. Boom! Balls and fire and eyeballs and wings everywhere. Ah! Isn't that nice? No, that's like... That's, it's, it's apocalyptic literature. It's not an actual description. Follow with me? Okay, cool. All right, well, let's move on. Today, <clears throat> what I want to do is I want to talk about the, the why, okay? Why do the work of interpretation. There's all kinds of rules and thoughtfulness that goes into it, but, but what makes it important? Why, why should we put all this effort into it? Well, there, there's the first and easiest most answer, and I want to go through the scriptures and kind of talk through it a little bit, but it's because what, what is the Bible? What is the Bible? The Bible is the words of God, right? But how do we know that? How do we know that the Bible is the words of God? Anybody know how? But where do you get that from, Peter? Proverbs, Proverbs which is in the, the Bible. Okay, so here's the, here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is a super important principle that I want everybody to pick up, all right? We know that the Bible is the words of God because the 
Bible tells us that it is. Now, Pastor Stewart, that sounds like circular reasoning. Have you ever heard somebody say this to you before? That sounds like circular reasoning, meaning your, uh, your answer is derived from the question, right? Okay, so how do I know that the Bible is the words of God? How do you know that? Because the Bible says so. Now, whenever you get into like a logic argument with somebody about this, they'll say, therefore, that doesn't work. That doesn't apply. That's not acceptable. But here's the caveat. Here's the deal. Every ultimate authority that you ever work from is based upon itself. Did y'all hear what I just said? This is important. Every ultimate authority that you would ever work from, that you would ever derive information from, is based upon itself. Now, here's what I mean. Um, I get into uh, arguments, debates, whatever, with folks who don't necessarily believe that they should follow Jesus sometimes. And the conversation that I'll have with them is, they'll say, uh, I got in a conversation with somebody about abortion not too long ago. And they said, well, of course, certain things are wrong, but I don't think this is wrong. And I was like, why don't you think it's wrong? He said, well, because I, I don't think so. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's right. And I was like, well, where is your authority coming from in that? Where do you get that from? He was like, well, from my feelings, from just my general moral compass. And you see what the problem is with that, right? Because his ultimate authority is himself, And why is that his ultimate authority? Because he thinks it should be. You see what I'm saying? That's a circular reasoning methodology. Now, most people's ultimate authority in the society in which we live is not outside of themselves. It is themselves. In our particular culture, I think this is right. Why? Because I think it. Why? Because I think it's good. Why do you think it's good? Because it feels good. You know, like they they can't go past that particular piece. Now, there are people who pull ultimate authorities from outside of themselves. But anytime that you appeal, any human being appeals to an ultimate authority, it is based upon itself. Are y'all following with me so far here? Do I have any questions about this so far? Okay. That is true to an extent. Although, if you read the Bible, you get to see a lot of times where, um, man, you know that the Bible's got to be true because it's embarrassing stories about people writing it. (laughs) You know, like David and Solomon, they wrote down their victories, but they also wrote down a lot of their screw-ups, too. They wrote through a lot of their issues. And it's not like you watch the Bible. And what happened as soon as Noah got off the boat? Y'all remember? Noah got off the boat, he planted a vineyard, and did what? Got smoked, you know, like he went and got hammered, this dude. And, and who could have written that story down? Noah, <laughs> you know? And so you see this, uh, like, for example, for Peter. Um, Peter and the apostles, what was Jesus' proclamation to Peter? He said what? He said, after, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. Or when the cock crows, you deny me three times, something along those lines. That story made it in. And the apostles wrote it down. Why? Because the hero of the story is not the people, it is who? Jesus. Amen. Okay, great. But the Bible is the words of God because the Bible says that it's the words of God. I got a couple of passages for you. Y'all got to jump to 2 Peter, and then somebody else jumped to Psalm 119. I've got a handful of different verses for you. 2 Peter chapter 1 and 2 Peter chapter 3 is a couple of places that we're going to be reading from this morning. So chapter 1, verses, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. Who's got that? Read loud if you got it.
So here's Peter talking about the prophecies, and he makes it very plain that the scriptures come from God. The words of God were from God. They were written down by men, but they were written down by men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Somebody go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Peter 3, 16. What does it say? Go ahead. As they do with the what? The other scriptures, you see? So even Peter here is referencing Paul's writings as the Bible, and he's saying, of course, some people twist it because they twist the rest of the Bible too, because the Bible is the words of God. So the first thing, and Psalm 119, let's go ahead and round through that one. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 10. Who's got that? Psalm 119, verses 9 through 10. No, sir. No, sir. But we're getting there. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 10. Amen. So we know that the answer to purity of life is what? God's words. Amen. They are the words of God. They hold fast to, we as his people should hold fast to his word and we should seek him with our whole heart and pray that same way. Psalm 119 is great, by the way. I recognize it's like a hundred and some odd verses long, but listen, Psalm 119 is a wonderful psalm and it's all about the Bible itself. If you want to study the Bible, Psalm 119 is a great place to push off from. All right. Now, so first we study the Bible because it is the words of God. Next, we study the Bible because, well, maybe I won't say that yet. Somebody go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. We study the scripture, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, because why? There you go. That's very good. That's exactly what 2 Timothy 2, 15 is. Did you know that already? No, I didn't know. Oh, well. Well, that was good. But you had that locked away in your brain. That's good. You're hiding the words in your heart. Well done, sir. 2 Timothy 2, 15 says this. Do your best to present yourself as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So the second reason, the second reason that we want to study the scriptures is because we do not want to be shamed. Amen? We don't want to be shamed. We want to be able to articulate our faith well and explain it to other people. But in order to do that, in order to not be shamed, you must be a worker. What does it say? Rightly handling the word of truth. Now, rightly handling... And just like this is what Peter was talking about before, it implies that there is a way to wrongly handle it, right? You can rightly handle the word of truth, but you can also wrongly handle it. And wrongly handling the word of truth will eventually do what to you? It will bring condemnation, but the word that we're operating with here is shame, right? Right? Shame. To wrongly handle the word of truth will bring shame upon you. Now, maybe not immediately, though. Because <clears throat> there's still a lot of prosperity gospel heretics out there that are slinging trash and flying in billion-dollar planes and, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But if we rightly handle the word of truth, if we rightly handle it, we will not be led to shame. We'll be led to revel in God's goodness. Psalm 119, verse 6 says this. So you want to tell you, Psalm 119. Just go read and study Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 6 says this. 
then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed upon all your commandments. What is a way for us to not be shamed as God's people? To hold on to his promises and to believe all of his commandments. Now, does that mean that you're never going to get made fun of as for being a Christian or for believing the things that you're going to? No, the world will perpetually try to shame you. But ultimately, ultimately, you will not be ashamed. Amen? Good news, right? Good news. All right, so we may study ourselves, show ourselves approved. Thank you. We may not be shamed. Um, We study the Bible because of the words of God. But we also study the scriptures that we may be blessed. Guess where I'm pulling this next verse from? Psalm 119. (laughs) Go to Psalm 119 again and look at verses 1 and 2. Somebody read Psalm 119, verse 1 2. We study the words of God because if we do study the words of God and hold fast to them and believe them, we will be what? We will be blameless, but we will also be blessed. Amen. Amen. We will be blessed by God himself. That's an important thing for us to remember. By holding fast to his promises, by believing him, and he promises blessings upon his people. Right? There are certain covenantal promises that God has given us since the beginning of the covenant all the way back in the Old Testament that if we follow him, he will, he will care for us, he will provide for us, he will pour his blessings out upon us. So it's like it's pressed down and running over. It's a wonderful good thing. So we study the Bible that we may not be ashamed, um, that we may hold fast to the words of God, that we, may, that we may walk blameless before the Lord, that we may be blessed. Let's do another one. Guess what? I'm still in. Psalm 119, go down to verse 11. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, Psalm 119 is a great place to study the scriptures. Psalm 119, go down to verse 11. Who's got it? Go ahead. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Yes, you have. You've proven that already. But Psalm 119 is the foundation for us to hold fast because we know that if we have his scriptures and we're holding fast to them in our hearts, if we know them and believe them, that we will not sin against the Lord. We study the scriptures so that we may be blessed, so that we may be blameless, so that we may trust in the Lord because they are his words and so that we may not sin against the Lord. All right, and I got a few more, and this is a great one just for y'all to study on your own time. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, 16. 16 and 17, really. Some of y'all probably have this one memorized already. Anybody got this from memory? This is a really common memory verse. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is what? Breathed out by God. That's right. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what the study of the scriptures gives us. It gives us this idea of being taught being brought around so that we may instruct others around us, that we may reprove, that we may correct them, that we may be trained in righteousness, that we may be complete, that we may be equipped for every good work. The Bible also teaches God has laid for us to walk through before the foundation of the earth. But this also means that without the study of the scriptures, we are untaught. Because if the Bible teaches us and we don't study the Bible, then we aren't taught in the first place. You have following with me here? We are untaught. If the Bible is a mechanism of correction for us and we refuse to read it, then we are uncorrected. If the Bible is a mechanism of training for us and we refuse to read it, then we are 
untrained. You see what I'm saying here? We are unrighteous, we are incomplete, we are not equipped, and we are unable to do any of the good works the Lord has called us to do. You see how important this is. See, like this is helpful to be able to go in and just kind of flip the text over a little bit and see what you're lacking without the study of the scriptures. You're lacking everything. You're untaught, uncorrected, untrained, unrighteous, incomplete, not equipped, and unable to do good works. That's bad. So studying the scriptures and interpreting them rightly is incredibly, incredibly important. So I would encourage you to do the work. And let's do some right now. Go to Proverbs chapter 2. I like to give um, little practicums, little practices as we kind of finish these classes up. So I want to walk through Proverbs chapter 2 together and kind of give us a little, a little class experience in interpreting um, specifically wisdom literature as well as all of the scriptures as well. And I'm going to use this as an opportunity to drive home a specific lesson that I referenced at the beginning of today um, called parallelism. Okay, so look at Proverbs chapter 2. <clears throat> and we're going to start walking through this together. Go just from the beginning, and I'll, I don't think I'm going to do the whole thing. I think I'm just going to do maybe the first 12 verses or so. Anyway, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Why is the fear of the Lord important? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Ah, yes. And so what do you have to do to understand the fear of the Lord? All right, let's hit the list again. My son, if you receive my words, that's the first verse, if you receive my words. Um, if you have kids and you instruct your kids you can tell really quickly if they are receiving your words or if they're just waiting for the conversation to be over. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> if they just, like sometimes you're, you're trying to teach your kids, you're trying to bring them along with you, and they look at you like just that blank stare of, are we done yet? I hope we're done soon. And I know that none of you in this room ever did that to your parents because y'all are kind, good children, and you only loved them, right? No. We all did this, okay? You stare at them, you give them that blank face stare. That's not receiving, right? And I got to tell you, okay, so this is the Sunday school crowd, so I can say stuff to y'all and not be judged for it. There are some Sunday mornings where I'm looking out in the room and I'm like, ain't nobody listening. <laughs> ain't nobody listening. You see, because with receiving the word, there is a certain posture that goes with it, right? There is a certain attentiveness that goes with it. There is a certain not having your cell phone in your hand scrolling Facebook that goes with it. You know, there's a, certain, there's a certain engagement that you have to receive the word. And this requires a lot of things. Before you come into church on Sunday or before you open the Bible, you have to, you have to pray and ask the Lord to reveal his words to you. You have, to, you have to look around your life and be like, am I holding on to unrepentant sin? You have to be ready to, to receive from the Lord. And you can ask him because the Bible teaches us that we ought to have childlike faith. You can just say straight up, Lord, I don't even know how I should start praying please help. <laughs> Can you please just help? I want to receive your word. So, so bring me to your word. You got to make sure that, you know, you're, you're ready to receive. If you receive my words and what? And treasure up my commandments within you. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's the same thing. You're bringing his commands into your heart. You're, now that doesn't necessarily mean, okay, so let me say it this way. 
I am not great. I told you all this earlier today. I am not great at citations. Like that is my, that's my biggest weakness. I've got maybe a Rolodex of about 20 verses that I actually know the citations for, but I got lots of Bible otherwise. And Google is my friend, <laughs> you know, like, okay, I know this verse exists. Where is it? Okay, found it. You know, like I can, I can pull things up like that. Hiding the Lord's word in your heart is, does not look identical for everyone, Okay. Like, I'm not saying, for some people, y'all ever seen those little Fireverse card packs? You know, you can put like 20 or 30 little cards in your wallet, and they just go through and they drill their memory verses all day. I've, seen, I've met guys like this, and they're killing the game. But that doesn't, that's not a universal application for every single one of us. If you don't learn this way, then you're doing it wrong. I'm more of, a, I'm more of an auditory learner. Do y'all know what I'm talking about whenever I say that? I'm more of a guy who hears and can, and can repeat after hearing. That's kind of that's my vibe. That's my lane that I like to be in. And so as I learn, I like to, recently I've started, I got a Bible app on my phone where I can play our Bible readings, and I'll play it and kind of look at it too while I'm going through it. And I find that's very helpful. Now, I'm playing it at 1.5 speed because, I mean, we ain't got time for that one speed thing. You know, like, I'm playing it at 1.5. But we're, we're rolling through it, and I'm understanding more, and I'm holding fast to it. And that helps me. So I ain't got citations, but I think I got his commandments in me. So we want to be able to learn and memorize and hold fast to his commandments. All right, next, next one. Make your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. See, there's, it's, it's like receiving at the beginning. There is something that we are required to do as God's people to receive his word. We, we have to make our ears attentive, right? We got to make them. That, that means that there's a certain amount of willpower that we have to exert and that we should teach our kids to exert with us, right? Like, okay, hey guys, y'all gotta, y'all gotta listen, y'all gotta sit up, y'all gotta make sure. And then you, after church, y'all have conversations maybe with the kids about the sermon. What was the sermon? What, what stood out to you today? What about this part? And you want to make your house into an environment where everybody's kicking the ball around and learning about Jesus together. What'd you read in the Bible this morning? What does it mean? Like, why do you think it means that? What did y'all learn in Bible at school today? You know, you talk through all these things with your family, and it's not just for the benefits of your kid, it's for your benefit too, and for the overall health of your household. Um, because the stuff that your kids learn can instruct you as well. Everybody knows that, right? Don't get to this prideful point where you're like, no, I will always know more than my children. God has very often used my kids as a real quick little, <clears throat> you're not listening. <laughs> you're not listening. That's a good thing to have too. Although the general disposition is the parents do know more than their children. So make your ear attentive to wisdom incline your heart to understanding. There's a degree of willpower that's important for both of those things. And I, I think it's interesting that it says inclining your heart towards understanding, right? Because I think our temptation sometimes when we're dealing with the scriptures is we read through a passage and we're like, I don't know what just happened. Next, and we move on to the next thing. But we, should, we ought to incline our hearts, given opportunity, to understanding. What does this mean? Why does it mean this? What's happening? You know, find some good commentaries, talk to your pastor, all kinds of different things like that. And then it says, verse 3, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, what are we talking about there? We're talking about asking the Lord to help us, right? God, help me. Oh, help me understand your words. Because even Peter said earlier today in today's study that sometimes Paul's words were difficult to understand. God, help me. Help me understand your words. If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, verse 4, if you seek it 
like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of, if you seek it like silver. Now, um, search for it as for hidden treasures. I think the illustration that we're being given there is, is a mine, right? And what happens when you go into the mines? You get dirty. You sweat a lot. You're swinging a pickaxe all day. It's, it's work, isn't it? It's, it's toilsome work. Oh, gosh. Oh, man, I don't, know. Oh, I don't know if I have any more swings left in me. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, if you do all these things, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Amen? Amen. For the Lord gives what? Verse 6. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. You see, that's all the stuff that we just talked about before we got into this. That's the blessings of God. He's making sure that we follow him and and giving us the grace that we need in order to do so. Now let's go. Do I have time? I do. I have time. Okay. So verses 9. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to you. If you do these things, these things will pour into you from the power of God. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil and from the men of perverted speech. All these wonderful blessings will be poured out upon you by the grace of God if we will study his word as his people together. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you've given us this opportunity to hear and heed your words. I pray that you would continue to instruct us, help us to seek you, to trust you in all things, and hold fast to your words and commandments as the blessings that they are. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, guys, love you all. See you all at church in 15 minutes.